Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning indeed to hear your voice. We pray indeed that you will speak to each of us. Open our hearts and our minds. Move us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, let me extend my warm welcome to you as well. My name is Alex, for, for those of you who are visiting. If you find it helpful, there is a, a, well, a postmodern uh, sermon notes. It's a blank canvas. Write what you want. Um, well, Happy New Year. And um, we thought this morning we'll do something slightly different. We'll look at Ecclesiastes. And um, the issue is, you know, people everywhere want uh, a blessed and a happy new year. You know, how do we obtain it? How do we obtain it? Well, we might look back at events of 2017 and, um, you know, we might get lessons from them and that we can apply for 2018. We might not know the future. We won't. Uh, but we can uh, seek guidance, perhaps, from experts as to what we might expect from 2018. Uh, you know, can we guess those exam questions, perhaps? Uh, or how are house prices going to behave? What might Brexit phase two look like? Uh, one of my favorite movies is Johnny English Reborn. Uh, I don't know if you remember that uh, beginning, the scene where Johnny English, uh, he was a, you know, he's a disgraced MI7 agent. He asked his master, who is a sort of uh, a wise old Eastern monk, Master, what is my destiny? And we see the old master uh, in meditation mode, you know, with eyes rolled up to heaven. He said, I'm in touch with a higher power. And then the next scene, you see him turning on his laptop uh, to, to serve the internet and to say that MI7 wants you back home uh, in the next uh, flight back home. I thought it was just brilliant. Um, but, um, we, well, thankfully, this morning, we, we don't need the uh, uh, Google Master to uh, teach us something about 2018. We have uh, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, who was most likely King Solomon, Himself, He identified himself in chapter 1 as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. In chapter 12, we know also that we read earlier that Solomon collected many proverbs with great care. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, after 12 long chapters, uh, the teacher draws his conclusion on life. You know, it acts like a, like a heavyweight boxer's punch full of substance and not just hot air. This is what he says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So friends, today we will ask the teacher uh, to teach us something about happiness in the new year. Uh, modern life is, is shaped around people's uh, pursuit of happiness 
as well as our constant desire for something new. So um, let's journey briefly into Ecclesiastes as we explore these two Happy New Year themes. We'll be kind of dipping in and out of uh, various parts of Ecclesiastes to do that. And I hope that is okay uh, with you, and I hope it will be helpful. Well, first is the pursuit of happiness. Enjoyment, satisfaction with life is what makes people happy. You know, we plan our lives around it. From one enjoyment to another, one weekend to another, uh, one holiday to another, one entertainment to another, one pick-me-up to another pick-me-up. You know, we aspire towards celebrity lifestyles, and we want our, our children to get good education, good jobs, and one day to attain, well, some kind of celebrity happiness, I guess, happiness ideals. The teacher of Ecclesiastes recognizes this modern lifestyle very well. Uh, he also had pursued life's enjoyment for its own sake. He experimented with total hedonism that we would find difficult to match. See, in chapter 2, the teacher said that he built houses, gardens, parks, planted vineyards. He cheered his body with wine. He gathered silver and gold for himself. He had slaves and a palace orchestra. And he had many wives and concubines that delight the hearts of men. To be precise, he had more than 700 women for himself. Brave man. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 10 says, the teacher says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So what, what does the teacher make of this lifestyle? Well, firstly, he says that if we pursue satisfaction for its own sake, it ultimately leads to dissatisfaction. It's, it's like a cancer warning, isn't it, on a packet of cigarettes. Our senses are never satisfied, and we only want more, better, bigger, more expensive things. And yet we will still end up dissatisfied. And this vicious cycle creates an insecure, unhappy, and selfish me. So the teacher says in chapter 1, verse 8, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Oh, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's brilliant, isn't it? What a brilliant verse. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. How true. Um, well illustrated, I think, by um, one of Lord Sugar's apprentice candidates this year, uh, Michaela. You know, you know, you watch that. Uh, he already had um, £3 million worth of uh, business, 
And Lord Sugar asked her, why on earth did you join the apprentice then? And uh, she said, very honestly, I guess I want more. I want more. Well, secondly, uh, pursuing enjoyment, pursuing satisfaction for its own sake, only lead to futility. It is a self-defeating activity. And this is what the teacher says in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, it is a chasing after the wind. A chasing after the wind. Imagine the heavyweight boxing champion, you know, Anthony Joshua, boxing against the air. There can only be one winner, isn't it? And that's the air. You know, some might be able to box for five minutes, some maybe a bit fitter for five hours. But the winner is certain. It's only a matter of time before the air beats him down. So living our lives without God, chasing our own gratification, is, the teacher says, like boxing the air. It's a self-defeating activity. No one ever wins against the wind. And so the teacher advocates the fear of God instead. And that's the verse that we read earlier, chapter 12, verse 13. The teacher says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Friends, this is such an unpopular verse, is it not? Because in our culture today, human autonomy is everything. I did it my way, must be the mantra for our society. In our secular, anti-God culture, we lift our fists to God, isn't it? Just like um, Stalin did on his deathbed. What about duty? Well, that's, that's an old, outdated word. We are proud to be free to do what we want. But the teacher here is saying essentially that, well, you are disregarding, guys, the cancer warning on the cigarette packet. You see, in wanting to be cool, are we living as fools? We've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Why? Because happiness and satisfaction are only found in the God of the Bible, the giver of good gifts. See, enjoyment and satisfaction in life are God's good gifts to us. This is what the teacher says in chapter 5. He says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, well, this is a gift of God. Uh, chapter 2, 24, the teacher says, There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. I saw this is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can have enjoyment? Apart from Him, who can have enjoyment? Well, friends, what, what the teacher is saying here is that we cannot separate enjoyment and satisfaction in life 
from the God who gives it in the first place. And the fear of God guards us against separating this. It leads us instead to a life of thankfulness uh, for the small and the bigger things in life. We are thankful to God for our eyes to see those stars in the night sky, to see those fireworks that uh, no doubt we'll be watching tonight, for our smell that, uh, that wet our appetite uh, f- uh, when we smell that lovely freshly baked bread for lunch. What about our taste buds? None of us think of our taste buds, do we? But our taste buds, wow, a major source of enjoyment. Uh, I have a, a 95-year-old patient who, who told me, you know, doctor, I, I really cannot enjoy myself anymore. Well, you see, I cannot taste my food. That's terrible, isn't it? I cannot taste my food. And imagine that, uh, you know, you're chocolate fondant tastes the same as raw onions. I mean, it's just, I just eat to survive. So we are thankful to God for the small things. But we're also thankful to God that uh, there is someone to thank for in the first place. You know, it is intolerable not to be able to thank anyone. It's actually a very lonely experience. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the 19th century theologian and philosopher, once said, you know, I suppose it is like this. If my children wake up on Christmas morning and have somebody to thank for putting candy in their stocking, have I no one to thank for putting two feet in mine? But most of all, surely, friends, we we are thankful to God for Jesus, for God's best and greatest gift, And the fear of God sets us free to recognize God's love for us in His Son. Jesus is our happiness. God is a good giver whose love endures forever. And the Apostle John says here, isn't it, we love because He first loved us. So we can be thankful to God even when the circumstances of our lives change. You know, we cannot know the future. We cannot know what might be just around the corner. Uh, but our, our satisfaction in life, our contentment and joy, is not linked to what we have, but to what we are in Christ Jesus. Friends, uh, the teacher of Ecclesiastes it has really helped me to understand Uh, how how joy in the Christian life is linked to thankfulness. Uh, I think think Fee mentioned it earlier in Philippians chapter 4, and similarly uh, in the reading uh, that we had earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. You see, it seems that joy... Prayer and thankfulness, they belong together. And this is true happiness. You know, I, I came across um, this uh, lady's testimony uh, recently. It's a 
Christian lady, and, and she said, I do not know when I have had happier times in my soul than when I have been sitting at work, nothing before me but a candle and a white cloth, hearing no sound but that of my own breath, with God in my soul, heaven in my eye. I rejoice in being exactly what I am, a creature capable of loving God, and who, as long as God lives, must be happy. I get up and look a while out the window. I gaze at the moon and the stars, the work of the almighty hand. I think of the grandeur of the universe and then sit down and think myself one of the happiest beings in it. Dear friends, our, our secular anti-God culture does not deliver the happiness that it promises. See, the happiness it delivers is shallow, lonely, impersonal, and dry as dead bones. It tells us to pursue happiness that only leads to dissatisfaction. And the more we have, the more unsettled we are. And I think that's cruel. That's really cruel. These are empty, false promises. It is exactly what the Ecclesiastes teacher says, chasing after the wind. But friends, the fear of God leads us to Jesus. And it opens our eyes to see that God is a good giver. The pursuit of the fear of the Lord gives us thankfulness, joy, and contentment beyond our life circumstances. This is true satisfaction. This is true happiness that <coughs> makes us smile. So friends, in 2018, you know, whatever stage of life we are in, whether we are young or old, let's not be tempted to believe in the false promises that, that our secular culture offers. It leads only to emptiness. But the fear of God leads to life. So let's be wise. Let's be wise. Let's choose life. Choose the fear of the Lord. Well, perhaps um, there is another reason, though, why we, we want more and more. Uh, perhaps it's not really happiness that we are after, but we're after excitement, excitement. An American writer, Meccan, used to say, the problem with life is that it is such a bore. Which brings us to our second theme, our constant desire for something new, something different, something that spices up the same old, same old of existence. I wonder if you um, remember that movie in the 90s, uh, Groundhog Day. Uh, you, you have uh, Bill Murray uh, trapped in this cyclical time trap. And he woke up every morning uh, to the same day that just passed. <coughs> the same radio station, the same music, same people, same events. Uh, today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. Well, the, the teacher 
of Ecclesiastes understands this same old, same old phenomenon of life. He, he showed great excitement uh, of finding something new. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, look, this is something new. But the problem is, every time and there is new excitement, it soon becomes old news. Everything new is simply recycled new. So chapter 1, verse 9, he says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Wow, I find that verse quite haunting. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And we observe this truth every day, don't we? Um, I don't know, 2017, uh, we have um, well, ethnic cleansing in, um, in Myanmar, the Rohingya um, Muslims. Uh, we have the uh, story of the high-profile um, sexual harassment, Harvey Weinstein and all that. We hear of senseless killing and, and um, wars. Well, surely these are, these are not new phenomena, are they? Uh, these are simply old news, recycled. History, as they say, repeats itself. In fact, all human activities, from politics to ethics, are cyclical. This is just the nature of life on Earth. You know, even the physical universe is cyclical. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, the a teacher says, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The earth rotates around itself and then rotates around the sun in a cyclical manner like a merry-go-round. Well, that is just the way it is. That is the very fabric of life. Nothing anyone can do to change it. The teacher says, life is paralyzingly exhausting. So chapter 1 verse 8 says, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. But friends, at, at this point, please don't get the teacher wrong. You know, he does not advocate here a life of uh, idleness or, or, or laziness. Cyclical does not mean worthless. It does not mean that we do not work hard for progress, um, you know, for changes that can make real difference to, to people's lives. We can definitely live worthwhile lives. Instead, the teacher actually advocates hard work in life. In chapter 9, verse 10, the teacher says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's a great verse, isn't it? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And we know this is true because from historical accounts, we know that King Solomon was a hard worker. He was an architect, he was a builder, a developer. Uh, he spent a decade building his royal palace. Uh, he was a skilled horticulturalist. He was a studious academic. And he was a prolific writer. But in all of this, the teacher remains a realist. 
You see, in the bigger scheme of things, if we want something truly new, something truly exciting, then look above the sun, not under the sun. Look, not things that are on earth, but things that are out of this world. And here is how uh, one commentator explains uh, what the teacher is doing here. He says, we are permitted to taste the bitter wormwood of earthly streams in order that standing by the heavenly fountain, we may point our fellow sinners to the world of vanity we have left and to the surpassing glory and delights of the world we have newly found. Friends, the point is, you know, God had made us for eternity. That's how we've been programmed. One of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The teacher here says, God has put eternity into man's heart. Isn't that lovely? God has put eternity into man's heart. No wonder our souls are restless until they find rest in God. Uh, you know, true progress, true excitement can only be found in the hope of eternity. See, in this life, everything is cyclical. And that's all we'll ever get. Same old, same old. But eternity is truly linear, if you want to call it that way. It is truly new. And that is how our teacher ends Ecclesiastes. He ends it with eternity in mind. So uh, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14 that we read earlier. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. So friends, have we got hold of Christ Jesus, in whom is found eternal life, new life? Have we honoured Christ, who will stand as the judge at the gate of eternity? You see, in, in 2018, let's, let's not be ashamed of being Christians, of standing up for Jesus. You know, pray for me as, as I pray for you. It's so easy to feel that, that we are just sort of swimming against the tide every day. The secular, anti-God culture around us uh, constantly call us to sort of defend, to question our faith. But I, ironically, it is actually in Christ that there is hope. Actually, it is in Christ we are the ones who have something truly new, truly eternal. You see, Jesus is not boring. He is the real excitement in life. Jesus is the real excitement in life. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is literally out of this world. So friends, if it is excitement uh, that we are looking for, then we don't need to look any further. 
Let's be wise. Let's choose Christ. Well, let me end now with, um, with what one um, writer says on this. There is a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all our sins. There is a new life that came up from the empty tomb when Jesus rose from the dead with the power of eternal salvation. There is the new heart that God gives to everyone who believes in Jesus. There is the new self that the Holy Spirit starts to grow in the knowledge and the holiness of God. This new self is so new that the Bible calls it a new creation, which is a way of saying that when we trust in God, His work in us will recreate our whole world. The Christian life is not the same old, same old. The living God who sits on the throne of the universe says, Behold, I am making all things new. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our happiness. You are our joy and our contentment. You are our Lord and our judge. Lord, we praise you this morning. We thank you that indeed you are making all things new. We thank you that happiness and joy can be found in you. Lord, help us to, uh, yes, fear you in 2018. And uh, make us a source of blessing to our families, to our friends, to those we work, to those we meet. Lord, please uh, use us for your glory. Amen.